0: And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. Andrew, it's a pleasure to have you on with us today.
1: It's great to be back, Dan. I appreciate you very much.
0: You recently wrote a really interesting paper titled Baptism and the Visibility Paradigm. And um our son Tim had contacted me and he said, "You know what? Why don't you do an interview with P Andrew Sandlin on the subject of baptism?" And he he said that before you wrote this paper, so I'm I'm thinking it's kind of providential that the paper came out, and Tim had prompted me to ask you about doing this, and, and here we go. So, Andrew, thank you for agreeing, and can you tell us uh, just an introduction here to your paper?
1: Yes. Um, all uh, Christians, Orthodox Christians, understand the importance of baptism. But what they don't often understand is uh, the role of baptism and, uh, as I said in the paper, visibility. Let's think just quickly about Romans chapter 6, which I think is the most important uh, chapter in the Bible on the Christian life, uh, the foundation of the Christian life at least. And uh, Paul's clear that it's founded in our union with the crucified and risen Lord. Well, he says in the first three verses that that union is accomplished by baptism. Now, we tend to shy away from that, uh, those of us who uh, oppose uh, baptismal regeneration, and in my view, we should oppose it, but Paul is not advocating baptismal regeneration. He's pointing out that baptism is the visible element that unites us to Christ. Of course, at regeneration, when the Holy Spirit is working in our hearts, John chapter 3, of course, the language of being born from above or born anew— That's, of course, God's work inside, invisibly. But Paul is talking about the visible transition from wrath to grace, from being under God's judgment to being under his mercy, from being united to Christ. And that's one reason that baptism is so vitally important. Uh, You know, I often, when I'm speaking, when I mention this, I'll ask a congregation, I'll say, how many of you here have or have had a baptismal certificate, rather, (laughs) either as an infant or perhaps uh, old when you were older, baptized when you were older, and most people there raise their hands. And then I say, how many of you have a born-again certificate? And of course, no hands ever (laughs) show up. And I say, well, how do you explain that? It's not because baptism is more important than being born again. It's because baptism is um, visible, it's dateable, it can be tracked. We don't know exactly when we were regenerate, even if we think we do, but we can know when we were baptized. Mm. So uh, this really stresses the importance of baptism as a visible act of union with Christ. One reason, and this is more of a general point, uh, Christianity today really stresses the invisible as opposed to the visible. This goes along with the popular idea that our faith is sort of private, and the important thing about our faith is our sort of private relationship with Jesus Christ, and we don't want to sort of make it too public or visible. That's not really important. The world belongs to the devil anyway, it is thought. (laughs) And therefore, just as long as we have this invisible, internal, private relationship with the Lord, that's what's central. But I think Paul's making the point in Romans chapter 6 and other places that our Christian faith is very visible. Baptism is a very visible, dateable act, and it's so important because it is the initial the initial mark of the visibility of the Christian. The initial mark of the visibility of a Christian. That is, it was right there, we can say, that's in a real sense when I became a Christian. Not, quote, in my heart, but in God's visible plan and his visible kingdom, that is the beginning.
0: That's a very good point, and uh, you know, sometimes um, the world is ahead of us a little bit, I'm sad to say, Andrew, because in other countries where there's a strong, let's say, uh, presence of another religion, non-Christian, when people convert to faith in Christ and they receive this objective sign of God's covenant of grace, the people are upset who don't love the Lord because they recognize <laughs> they recognize that this really means something right
1: that's right Dan they understand the importance of the visibility of baptism as long as one claims to be a Christian but remains unbaptized it's understood that that's well that's not all that important that's in the realm of the private yeah. that's in the realm of the vertical relationship. But see, when you get baptized, essentially you're saying the faith means more to me than just a vertical relationship. Right. It means that Jesus is Lord of my life and, in fact, Lord of all of life and culture. And that's why the hostility arises in many other nations because of baptism, and understandably so.
0: Yeah. And um, today we're talking with cultural theologian Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin. And he heads up the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. And uh, oftentimes I kind of follow you from a distance, Andrew, and get different mailings and that sort of thing. Before I forget, if someone would like to get on your mailing list, how would they go about doing that?
1: Well, they can check uh, ChristianCulture.com, the website, but perhaps the best way to do it is to sign up for the newsletter, Substack newsletter, called Culture Change. Just look for Andrew Sandlin, Culture Change, Substack, and you can sign up, put your email in there for free, and check uh, all my books on um, Amazon author page and uh, my YouTube channel. Just put my name in there and you'll, you'll find all the stuff you need to find.
0: You know, um, you've been a Christian, by God's grace, for a long time, and I, I believe you... did you grow up in a Christian family?
1: Well, I did. My dad was now he's now 90 and uh, mom passed away earlier but a minister of the gospel for many years so I was a Christian. I was I'm definitely what is called a cradle Christian. Yes. I was born into a Christian family and I'm greatly appreciative of that.
0: Now, Andrew, explain how this works because some sometimes the evangelical Christians see one aspect of this and miss the other. And the one aspect is, you know, a definite point in time when you really realize that you received the Lord and that sort of thing. But those who are blessed with growing up in a Christian family sometimes can't really point to a time when they believe, but they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they believed. And that's just as valid as the other, is it not?
1: I would go further than that. I would say, in a sense, it's more valid, though, of course, anybody that's regenerate, that, of course, the regeneration is valid. Uh, And I kind of bring that to a point, Dan, when people bring this up with me, I'll tell them, I don't ever remember becoming a Christian. Right. And, of course, that sounds jarring, but the fact that I don't remember becoming a Christian doesn't mean I'm not one. I know that I'm (laughs) trusting Christ. I know (laughs) in whom I believe. But the fact is, we... Uh, if we if we are and here's a good way of putting it. I often, in the churches I pastored, I would tell the congregation, "We're here to nourish the lambs and the gospel. These Amen. littlest was from the smallest age. We nourish them. And I also believe that uh, my view is, and you know, there are some that strongly disagree, that we should assume that those who are born into the born though no one is born a Christian, you are born into a Christian family. Right. You can be born into the church let us assume that these are among god's chosen ones and treat them as though they are point out the, of course that they're sinners they must always be trusting in christ and not simply try to push them to a point of a a conversion experience uh, actually the knowledge of a conversion experience is very rare in the bible paul the apostle is pointed to but he of course is a great exception Most of us, of course, have not been thrown off our horses and seeing a great light. Uh, Paul was the exception. The Bible says one born out of due time. Most are like Samuel, or like David, or like Timothy, from a child. They have known the Holy Scriptures that are able to make them wise to salvation. So um, I think that is the normative way, and becoming converted when one is older, though that also is glorious, is the less normative way.
0: Yes, yes, and that... That was pretty much, I think, the way it worked with our children, where from a very early age, they just knew the Lord. And um, it was it was difficult. You know, we went through some transitions on our view of baptism and that sort of thing. Yes. But um, as we transitioned to more of a Reformed outlook, um, it was surprising how that we got some pushback from fellow Christians when our youngest was was baptized, and it was a very valid baptism, I might say. Yeah. Um, but it just didn't fit with their paradigm. But in your paper, you talk about the invisibility paradigm, a lot of paradigms here. Can you talk about, yeah. I think you already touched on it, just a little bit more, um, peel the, the layers of the onion on this section, the invisibility paradigm?
1: Yes, uh, that actually is in many ways a form of worldliness. Um, Let me give you a quick example of that. You'll hear a lot of men, uh, this happened to NFL players and some celebrities, uh, in particular men who have abused women, their wives, girlfriends. uh, They've been shown to have done this, and they'll come out with a public statement and say, I just want everybody to know that that's not who I am. In my heart, I'm different from that. Where you can't see, that's not who I am. But according to the Bible, that is who we are. Our visible actions are a reflection of our right, heart. Right. Right. Uh, the problem is we're wanting we're we're sort of gnostic, and sort of assuming that what is visible and tangible is inferior and unimportant. What's really important is what no one can see. Good point. Uh, but that's not true in the Bible. That's not true in the Bible. This, there's also a problem even among many Christians with a strong emphasis on the invisible church. Now, uh, that is an acceptable uh, way of speaking as long as we understand that what it really means is an invisible dimension to the Church. What the Reformers meant by Mm -hmm. that is that God sees those who are truly converted within the visible Church. Unfortunately, today, visible Church has become an excuse not to be a part of the Church or to say, you know, I'm a part of the invisible Church, I don't need to attend Church, my baptism's not important, I don't need Communion. Mm-hmm. because I'm a part of this other body but there is no there's no such actual body as an invisible church there's an invisible dimension to the church but there's no such thing as an invisible church every church in the bible is visible the book of hebrews even speaks about the church in heaven but <laughs> that's not invisible it's it's very visible uh not to us but it's very visible <laughs> to the lord so um I think that is a, is a real problem in our Gnostic age. And baptism, and I guess my point here, Dan, is that baptism is a strong strike against that notion. Yeah, Baptism is highly visible. It's highly dateable. It's something somebody can point to. When our children drift from the faith, we can say, listen, you belong to Christ. And if they say, well, I don't remember when I trusted Jesus, I was so young, it doesn't matter. You have this mark of baptism, a sign and a seal of God's covenant work in your life. That means his mark. It's almost like a brand. And I don't want to be too facetious here, but no, we I brand know. cattle and go in a higher way, in a more, in a godlier way, God brands his own. He brands them with baptism.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, the another interesting case, I hate to sound so sterile here, but another interesting point, I guess, is that there could be someone who um, came to Christ, maybe from a, a non-Christian family. They they received the Lord, but they were never baptized. Uh, it's appropriate for that person to seek out baptism at this point, right?
1: Oh, yes. Uh, there were certainly in the Bible adults, and in fact, most of them in the New Testament were baptized because the gospel was going to the Gentiles. Yes. And that many of them hadn't heard, and so... Many of them, you read about Paul's missionary journeys, many, many were baptized. Well, that means that they're making a visible statement about their discipleship. And incidentally, that is a valid aspect of baptism. It's a mark of discipleship. Mm. And it's no less true if infants are baptized. Parents are offering them as as disciples. So true. And adults Mm -hmm. are baptized. And adults are baptized as disciples. It means I'm following. We, The biblical language is baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, what does that mean? It doesn't mean there's anything magical in the name. In the name means under the authority of. We're placing ourselves visibly under the authority. The old timers would say, the, the sheriff would come around and knock on the door and say, open up in the name of the law. What yeah. does that mean, in the name of the law? It means under the authority of the law. <laughs> the same is true of baptism.
0: Yeah. I know in our church, when a person is baptized, the whole church witnesses it, and the whole church kind of enters into a, I guess you could call it a covenantal relationship with that family, and assures back and forth that this, let's say it's a child, will be raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and the whole congregation will be there for that family. To assist them, to hold them accountable, to to test them, to encourage them in the things of God, I think that's very healthy.
1: Absolutely, baptism and think about it. This is another example of the visibility, yeah. the non privatization of baptism. It's not something that one person you can't you can't baptize yourself. Now you some of your Listeners have, have seen the movie with Robert Duvall called The Apostle. It's sort of very. Charismatic and Pentecostal, sort of mm-hmm. his actual background. He he just one day baptized himself. He went on the <laughs> water and baptized himself. Well, there's that's not biblical. No, uh, it, it's a communal baptism is a communal act. It's a covenantal act, and that's a mark uh, of its visibility.
0: Yeah, I am talking today with Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin, and he's the founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. He wrote a paper titled Baptism and the Visibility Paradigm. And you have a really neat little depiction here, kind of a photo. It's it's a drawing or whatever, sketch, painting of a baptism taking place many years ago. Can you describe that one?
1: Yes, uh, I believe, if I remember correctly, that that is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Yes. Where Philip is ba- baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And... um there's a discussion about Isaiah 53. This eunuch is reading and he says, Who is this person that is suffering for transgression, bruised, mm. and so on? Amen. Is he talking about himself, the prophet, or someone else? And Ah, Philip says, No, he's not talking about himself. He's talking about the one who was to come, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And uh, of course, the uh, eunuch placed his faith in Christ and he says, Is there anything that would stop me from being baptized here by the water? <laughs> and Philip says, No, by all means. Let's be baptized. And I want to emphasize that point, Dan. One is not regenerated by baptism, and yet baptism is vitally important. Right. Uh, we don't have examples in the Bible of people who truly followed Christ who refused baptism. Now, we do have an example, the, of course, the, the thief who was crucified next to Christ, yeah. who did make it to the kingdom without baptism, but that, of course, is an exception. In the Bible, the notion, well, I will trust Christ, but I'm not going to get baptized, really calls into question this assertion that one is truly converted. Yeah. Baptism is a mark of the visibility of Christianity. That's one way to put it. It's yeah. a mark of the visibility of the faith, and therefore to refuse to be baptized is to say, I don't want to be a Christian.
0: Mm. Back um, in the previous covenant, um, there was also a sign, wasn't there, that's, that's very similar yes. to baptism. Can you describe that?
1: Yes, it is the mark of circumcision. It's a visible enrollment in the people of God, and again, though not identical, it's sort of the precursor to baptism. And mm-hmm. Paul in Colossians actually makes that makes that connection. It so does. somebody would say, "This mark doesn't make you a part of the people of God." God called Abraham, of course, and his seed before they were circumcised, and yet this was a mark of the covenant. Yeah. And of course, um, only males, obviously, could be circumcised, and in the new covenant, baptism. Women and girls are baptized because the covenant, of course, is expanded uh, in the New Covenant. Mm-hmm. And yet its basis is in the Old Testament, this this mark of circumcision. And uh, it obviously applies in most cases to infants, but though painful though it might be, it did apply to adults, adult yeah. males in some cases. So, And this, is, of course, is very true of, of baptism. Uh, so baptism is not something that's sort of just brand new that John the Baptist or Jesus just, if I may say so reverently, pulled out of a hat. It's based squarely in God's covenantal purposes under the Old Covenant.
0: Yeah, it's a beautiful thing that God is so gracious to bring us to relationship with himself, to provide a sign, and um, to—I am particularly thrilled over uh, children uh, in Christian families that— come to faith in Christ, that the parents have this wonderful opportunity to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, to oversee their Christian education. Uh, In the last two or three minutes remaining, maybe you can address that Christian education and then um, give some pointers to where people can read more um, of your writings.
1: Yes, uh, boy, that's a vital point. There are few uh, callings more important in the Christian life than educating children up in the Christian faith. And the Mm. Bible's clear about that. starts uh, all the way, of course, in the Old Testament, uh, calling of, uh, we think of Noah and his family, but especially Abraham and his seed and the promise to his seed. And we come into the New Testament and all of those in the book of Acts that were saved in their house, saved, uh, converted, and baptized in their family. Uh, one reason that we live in such cultural declension and apostasy today is because in the 20th century, gradually, Satan and secularists and humanists and neo-pagans have captured education. And Christians have basically said, well, as long as I take my children to church on Sunday, it doesn't matter how or where they're educated. Right. Uh, it's in that way that we have basically turned our culture over to Satan. If I had to choose between having Christians win political elections every election for the next 50 years, or Christians recapturing the importance of education mm. and uh, Christian children being truly educated. I would much rather have the latter than the former. Yeah. The political situation will change when the culture changes, and the culture will change when you have young children growing up in the faith and living out their faith as adults, and then, of course, in turn, training their own children in the faith. And baptism is, as I said before, the initial mark of that. Um, you asked in conclusion, Dan, about where to find more about this. I mentioned earlier my Substack um, article on that. You can find that article, Baptism in the Visibility Paradigm, on just Sandlin, Culture Change, Substack. Just put that in your search engine. You can sign up for this, uh, as well as my books. I've got a couple of books on the topic of training children in the faith. You can read those and about uh, marriage, I deal with this in my book on marriage. You can check that on Amazon, but um, anybody who wants to contact me can do it at christianculture dot com and find contact there, but that 'll that'll at least keep people in contact if they want to discuss it more.
0: yeah, I have a thought that keeps recurring as you spoke here towards the end, and that is the scripture verse that talks about. Bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Yeah. It's not like he's satisfied with just part. Maybe just worshiping Christ on Sunday, or maybe just um, going to Sunday school. When it deals with education, it seems like it's the it's the whole deal that he wants and demands.
1: It's it's really interesting. You would say that providential. I'm just finalizing some lectures. I'm going to speak to a group of high school students. Uh, in a couple of weeks, or next week, in fact, in North Carolina. Mm. One thing I'm going to point out, Dan, is uh, what one theologian called the problem of the unevangelized mind. You mm. see, we've stressed evangelism and let's get souls saved. And a lot of folks trust in Christ and they, they cast themselves on Him, and yet the mind itself is never transformed. Their mind itself is unevangelized, which means that. They have given their, quote, souls to the Lord, they've given their lives to the Lord, but basically their mind is shaped by anti-Christian worldviews. They want to be a Christian on Sunday, as it were, mm. and then think like a pagan or um, a secularist the rest of the week. But that's impossible. And all that we do, I mean, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is clear. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So if our minds are not being saved, not just our soul, If our minds are not being saved, we cannot be consistently Christian.
0: Mm, So true. Well, thank you very much, Andrew. And it's hard to get a hold of each other. We're both busy. I think you're even more so. And uh, here today we've been talking with Dr. P. Andrew Sandlin. He is founder and president of the Center for Cultural Leadership in Coulterville, California. You can find him online on his Substack. And, uh, Andrew, one more time, how do they get to your sub stack?
1: Just put in uh sub stack, Andrew Sandlin, Culture Change, and they'll get right there.
0: <laughs> That's pretty simple. Well, thank you very much. And, Andrew, I, I enjoy watching you from afar. And once in a while, we'll see some of your Facebook postings. And I encourage our listeners to look you up on Facebook. Your last name is spelled S A N D. L-I-N And it's P. Andrew So thank you so much for joining us And may God bless you, Andrew It's really nice talking with you today
1: Yes, thanks Dan God bless you
0: And dear listener, please join us next week For another edition of A Plain Answer